0: Welcome back to the Society Case Files podcast. My name is Robert Hazelton. I'll be your host. Today we're going to talk about some TV shows, video game streaming services, my new novel, and I thought I'd give a little advice for completing projects, whether they be writing, art, or otherwise. Got a lot to talk about today, so I'm just going to dive right in. There are a ton of television shows that are vying for our attention these days, And I find it hard for myself to pick and choose which ones I personally want to watch. I generally have some genres that I'm pretty excited about. Things that are, whether they're uh, fantasy or science fiction, horror, I usually break for those kinds of things. So uh, stuff like The Boys, uh, that was a pretty easy hit for us. The Good Omens, of course, we binge watched that in the first day. There's uh, The Woo Assassin, just started on Netflix. And if you love uh, martial arts shows and movies, that's a great start, at least. I've only watched the first episode as of uh, the recording of this. But uh, for the most part, it's pretty tough to decide when all of these different streaming services are creating their own original content. And then the big ones like HBO and Cinemax, stars they all have their shows as well. And it's almost to the point that we kind of have to create schedules of our own so that we can make sure we get through them all. This is why I generally prefer the shorter shows, like Woo Assassin, for example, is only 10 episodes long. Uh, Broadchurch is another show that I'm really into, but uh, each season of that is only 8 episodes. I also prefer the shows that are a little bit more of a uh, one-time story or something that spans multiple episodes rather than monster of the week type stuff i used to be way into monster of the week but lately i prefer a, a tighter story a meta plot that really matters and characters that i can get invested in That's kind of why i like the uh, marvel tv shows on netflix so much they do a great job of keeping your attention really well and not straying too much with a few exceptions uh, i think the First season of The Punisher suffers from a little drifting, but the second one was really intense, and it was very well done, in my opinion. So uh, those are great. But coming all the way around to a big point I wanted to make in this show, uh, Doctor Who. So the other night I went and saw the final two episodes of the David Tennant run, uh, The End of Time, at the theater. I had just recently watched the... uh, the, the same episodes on TV, they're on uh, Amazon. So Doctor Who is an interesting beast for me. I remember the show really well from being a kid. Uh, they would show telethons on PBS and you'd either get Doctor Who or Red Dwarf, sometimes Blackadder, and they would show an episode or two and then they'd come on and they'd ask for money and they would offer up some crazy kitsch. I can't really remember what kinds of kitsch, but I always remember they're like, if you spend this amount, then you're going to get this. If you spend $60, we'll send you a sonic screwdriver or whatever the case may be. And that was my exposure to the shows. And at that point, I didn't really get British television at all. It didn't make as much sense to me. I was more Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers, Knight Rider, all of that stuff, Star Trek. So... Right there I had sort of a, a very Americanized view. And for years after I'd go to conventions or we would go and visit places when we'd do our shows when I was in Abney Park, and we'd run into folks who were like, Have you watched Doctor Who? And I and I always had to say I'm sorry, I just I don't get it. And I will say that it was mostly because well it was obviously because I didn't I didn't ever give it a chance. So probably around two thousand six, two thousand seven I can't remember the specific year, but I was at Best Buy uh, doing my normal DVD run when I was trying to amass more DVDs than the common blockbuster, and I found Torchwood. And just reading the back, I just cursory glanced, I've got to admit. I just looked, it sounded interesting, I didn't really read it too deeply, I didn't look at the fine print, and I certainly didn't look at the bottom, so I had absolutely no idea it was a Doctor Who spinoff. But I bought it anyway. It was on sale for a pretty reasonable price. And I brought it home and I watched the first episode. And there were some, some key hints I probably should have picked up from when the main character is interacting with the uh, mysterious Jack Harkness and he's talking about Cybermen and every home and all this stuff. I had no idea what any of that meant. So I got through a few episodes and I really felt like I was missing something. And I probably should have felt that way. Because they really did rely on the source material that built this. They do a lot of callbacks to it. So I finally looked it up and I noticed that it was it was a Doctor Who spinoff. And I didn't even know that there was a reboot of Doctor Who at that point. I looked into it, figured out that uh, the Chris Eccleston version had come out in 2005. I ran out to Best Buy and I picked that up. And I started watching it, and I was like, wow, this is actually nothing like I thought it would be. Nothing like those old, cheesy-looking episodes that I remembered from being a kid. I became pretty invested. Invested enough to get all the way through the season, and oddly enough, just enough to meet Jack Harkness and figure out who he was so I could go back and finish Torchwood. Which, by the way, is pretty much near the end of the season, Why I didn't finish season one of Doctor Who at that point, I still can't figure out. I don't I don't get it. So anyway, I go back, finish watching Torchwood. It just destroyed me. It was amazing. The emotional stuff in it really got me. And I just I loved it. Then I found out that Spike from from Buffy was going to be in season two and I didn't own season two at that point, but I had intended to start watching it, and and quite honestly, I never got around to it. So fast forward several years, and I decided I wanted to introduce Torchwood to my wife, and the funny thing is is that she was much like me. She just didn't really get the Doctor Who craze, and like me, she remembered it from the Tom Baker years, specifically. Um, She liked them, but it wasn't like she was a, a passionate fan. So we sit down to watch Torchwood. We watched the first episode, and she liked it. But again, I started to realize, you know what? She probably has to watch the first season of Doctor Who to get it. So we watched that, and I will tell you that that was the beginning of what became an obsession for me. So we got through season one and just loved it. It was great. And this time I finished the season, and and slap myself for uh, missing it the first time I, I tried to watch. We start watching the second season, and at that point I knew who David Tennant was because I had seen him in Fright Night, uh, the new Fright Night with Colin Farrell. But that's it. That's really the extent of my uh, my knowledge of David Tennant's work. I, I I peripherally knew he had been in the Harry Potter Movie, but his character is is barely on screen. I mean, he's he's polymorphed most of it. So in any event, we we get into the David Tennant season, and uh, if I hadn't been hooked before, at that point it was over. I I had become a Hoovian, and the guy who had to tell all those people before I just don't get it became the guy who I was saying that to. I loved it, and so. We we finished season two. We had a viewing order to watch them in. So you you basically watch season one, and then you you do something like Torchwood. I can uh, post the order that I found online in the description. But uh, so we got all the way through the David Tennant seasons, all of them. And and here's the here's the funny part: the way that uh, Amazon Prime works with Doctor Who is that it has the seasons listed out, but from season four to season five, it doesn't bother to like interject the specials that you really do need to watch in order to move on. So we watched the last episode of season four immediately pop on season five with Matt Smith, and it just begins in such a way that it's absolutely clear that you have missed a lot. So we uh, turned to the internet, figured out what we missed, went and found it on Amazon. And our intention was to finish the David Tennant season that day and then watch like the first episode with Matt Smith, just see what it was like. And what happened was we we started at what we thought was a reasonable time. It was like two in the afternoon. And it was eight o'clock at night when we thought we were done. And then we found those specials. And by the time we finished watching all the specials, because I guess we were just that dedicated, it was just after midnight and we were emotional wrecks. It was um, just insane. And then when we watched the first episode of season five, of course, it suddenly started making sense. So thinking back, we probably should have just waited until the next day. Um, but anyway, I, I, I got to see those last two episodes, The End of Time, at the movie theater here at uh, one of those Fathom events. And it was just awesome. At home, you know, I got a big TV it's very comfortable, but I also have cats and they're distracting because they like to get into mischief if we sit too long. And, you know, there's phone calls and there's stuff happening outside. Sitting at the movie theater, just in the dark, watching it, and that's all that's going on. And by the way, there was only 25 people in this very large theater, so it was a pretty intimate showing. It was just intense. I have to say that I lost it far more than I did at home by having that engagement. Uh, There were also some really awesome interviews with David Tennant and all around just incredible. So I was trying to figure out why I didn't attach to Matt Smith as much as I watched through season five. And I really enjoyed season five for the most part. There's some things that I feel like sort of lost some quality in that time. But My theory is that in the first three seasons of the David Tennant uh, version of Doctor Who, you get a lot of characters that actually have more screen time elsewhere outside of Doctor Who to sort of build them up. And if you hadn't watched those other shows, had you not watched uh, Torchwood or the Sarah Jane Smith adventures or any of that stuff... Maybe you wouldn't have had as much impact when you watched the last few episodes of David Tennant as well, but having done that, I was just all the more moved. And Matt Smith's seasons, he doesn't really have characters that branched off and got their own shows. As cool as they are, I love Amy Pond, I love Rory, they're really, really cool, but he just lacks those extra characters that have extra screen time to bolster his doctor. I do agree with a lot of assessments that the writing sort of failed a little bit in those uh, next seasons with Matt Smith. Uh, we, did, we did get to the point where we were feeling a little bit lukewarm about continuing on, and then we watched the uh, episode, I think it's uh, The Day of the Doctor, with uh, John Hurt as the war doctor, and Matt Smith and David Tennant as their doctors together. Their chemistry was so amazing, it was sad they couldn't be in more. They were just so awesome together, and that really rekindled my affection for what's going on in that series, and it's really compelled me forward. I've also watched a couple of episodes with uh, Jodie Whitaker, and while I really liked them, I'm still struggling to embrace her as a Doctor, but, you know, it's funny, I have that problem with each new Doctor, even David Tennant, had a really hard time embracing him as the new Doctor after Chris Eccleston left. And Matt Smith really struggled, so I'm, I'm thinking that getting through the whole season, I'll really finally embrace her fully. Now, I'd like to also go way back, because I uh, pay for BritBox as a subscription service, and they've got all the original Doctor Who stuff. So I've watched a whole bunch of the first season with uh, William Hartnell, and he was he was really different. It's kind of like going back and watching the first few episodes of Star Trek, the original series, to see them basically groping for what would become this long-term series obviously they couldn't have known that it would go on and be 55 56 years old eventually and it's pretty obvious that they were just throwing darts to figure out what they were going to do but they did set the stage for show uh story arc so like three or four episodes story arc and then at the end of that it moves them to the next one and it always feels like they have good continuity in that way So I've sort of picked and choosed the uh, episodes I want to watch. And I've gone through and watched several from each of the Doctors. And I really have to say, I know it's probably cliche, but I just absolutely love Tom Baker. His depiction of the Doctor is amazing. Plus he has K-9, he has Romana. Uh, There's just so much cool going on with uh, his seasons. If ever I want to go back and see something that is most like the new Doctor Who... I feel like Tom Baker set the stage for that. Uh, There are other Doctors who are just as neat um, in the way that they are portrayed. I love John Pertwee. He's great, too. But uh, the Tom Baker episodes have been the best of the classic Who, in my opinion. So I want to segue just briefly that I have the role-playing game for Doctor Who now, and I have all of the source books, and they're very interesting because they actually go into how the Doctor acted during those different seasons. So you can really get a pretty solid explanation for how the incarnation changed from one Doctor to the next. And not only the Doctor, but the aesthetic of the episodes too. If we go all, go back to show and movie stuff for another minute, I finally found the 8th Doctor movie with Paul McGann. And we watched it with Eric Roberts playing the master, and I thought he was going to be so terrible in this. I don't know if you've seen a bunch of Eric Roberts movies, but he is the master of overacted B-movies. Sometimes he's great in them, and I just, I was really nervous about him playing a Doctor Who villain. But I have to give it to him, he was actually awesome. And the, sh- and the movie was actually really good, in my opinion. Yeah, it played with some of the rules, but, I mean, it was in a Hollywood version of Doctor Who, not even really BBC. Uh, they were actually kind of harsh about the uh, previous Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, making him be uh, in it for a very short period of time with few lines because they blamed him for the fall of the show. But uh, in any event... The uh, movie was definitely worth it, too. I, I mean, I've listened to the radio dramas now as well. I'm I'm really in. So we are about to see Doctor Who move to the new HBO streaming service. They've procured the exclusive rights for all the new Who stuff. So everything from Chris Eccleston to Chody are going to be on the new HBO. So thus moving from Amazon Prime. I'm a little grumpy about that because I'm not really big on HBO in general. Uh, I mean, I already pay for Amazon Prime, so that's an easy sell for me. But there's nothing on HBO I care about other than Doctor Who coming. Now, I guess an argument could be made for the upcoming Watchmen or His Dark Materials. But, you know, just for those, that's not going to take very long to get through. So in any event, as we move into the streaming topic, we can talk about streaming movies, TV shows and also video games. It's really interesting how this landscape is changing and we're seeing all of this stuff that we used to just buy outright, whether it be a video game for 59.99 or a Blu-ray for 24.99 or, you know, a a better deal when we'd find it and then we'd put it on our shelf and and that would be ours and our friends would come over and we'd say, "Hey, do you want to watch a uh you want to watch a movie and we just go and look at the shelf and like we're at Blockbuster again and, and we'd find what we want and put it on. Um, just tonight, we were going to watch Zombieland and it had been free on one of the streaming services. And when we got ready to do that, uh, we were queuing up our friends and getting ready to turn on TV and throw up a Facebook group to chat. And it had no longer uh, it had been pulled as free. And now it costs two ninety nine to rent. And so uh, we canceled our, our event because that no longer was available. And it's very interesting because, you know, a long time ago, that wouldn't have happened. We would have just had it. We would have watched it or we would have already rented it, whatever the case may be. But now you have things that are basically licensed to these streaming services and they can come and go whenever they run out. So... There's that uh, website I'm sure people have seen that is what is all leaving Netflix at the end of the month. Watch it now because it's going to be gone for however long. And iTunes actually does that as well. I bought uh, the Children of Dune mini series on there. Now, I can still download it. I can still watch it. It's still in the cloud, but you can't buy it anymore. It's no longer available if you search the service. So even the places that sell it lose the right to sell it occasionally, and it gets pulled that way. So moving to the video game world, what's very interesting about that is I'm actually a big proponent of this because I don't like spending $59.99 on a game when I don't know how long it's going to be or whether or not even I'm even going to like it. Uh, a great example of a game that I wish I would have been able to just stream is the Call of Cthulhu game. I beat it in like six hours and it was the same price as buying Red Dead Redemption 2, which is like a 120-hour game with tons of content, not just mindless stuff either. It's not just grindy nonsense. It actually has a big old story. So I love the idea of spending a $14.99 a month service fee to play as many of the games on that service as I want for that month and keep it going if I need to or drop it or come back to it in a few months when I have some more time. I think it's pretty cool. So I compiled a list of the different streaming services that are available now, but I'd like to do a bit of a throwback for a moment. Uh, And this is a call out to Joseph Garcia, a friend of mine, brought this up when we were talking about this particular podcast. And he brought up the Sega Channel. So the Sega Channel came out back in the 90s. It was $13 a month, and it basically let you play Sega Genesis games. Uh, You put a device in your cartridge... Uh, holder, um, slot thing, and then plugged a coaxial cable into it and downloaded the game straight to the system, just pretty much like all the stuff does now. It didn't last very long. It got criticized pretty hard because it came out right on the tail end of that system being viable right before the Sega Saturn and a bunch of other stuff came out. But Sega Channel, I mean, they were way ahead of their time. Heck, they were even charging the the fee that we're char- we're paying now for the most part. They got criticized for that too, by the way. So I'll have a link so you can read up more about Sega Channel, but it sounds like it was pretty cool. And here's the funny thing. It came out the year after I graduated. My buddy, he's uh, he's I think he's 15 years younger than me, and he remembers it very well. Apparently his dad was tired of paying for video games or buying new ones, so they got him that instead. So in any event, let's move on to the uh, more modern stuff that's going on right now. Here are some of the game subscription services you could buy today. Uh, There's PlayStation Now. Uh, It's $19.99 a month. Uh, You can get a year of it for $99.99. You don't have to have PS Plus, which is awesome, because that would kind of suck if you had to pay two fees uh, just to play the games. You are allowed to play PlayStation Now stuff online without PS Plus, but, of course, you can only play those games. If there's a game outside of that service, you'd need PS Plus. I personally find that most of the games on PS now are a little bit older and they don't really seem to have the newest of the new titles uh, out. So for me, PlayStation now does not really seem like a good value. EA Origin Access on the PC. It's called Origin Access on the Xbox and the PlayStation. It's called EA Access. Uh, this one has a variable price. Uh, you can get it for, I think, 4 dollars for the PC version And that gets you a certain level of gaming. And then there's a $9.99 version, I think. And then $14.99 a month. Or what I did, which uh, right before Anthem came out, I paid the $99.99 and got a whole year of it. And I played some pretty serious games on the uh, EA Access. Uh, I played Battlefield 5 quite a bit. I love that game, actually. It uh, has some great graphics. It was pretty fun online. I also played a uh, Plague Tale with it, that Innocence game. That's a great example of a game that I felt was perfect for this subscription service because I was really leery to spend 30 plus dollars on that game when I knew that it was only a 10-plus hour game, maybe 12 hours at most, and very linear, so it's all about just watching a story for the most part. But essentially, going back to TV shows, it's like watching a TV show. They had quite a few other games. That's how I played Anthem, thank God, because that game was a train wreck, in my opinion. It doesn't have all the stuff from EA. For example, it doesn't have all the Sims 4 expansions, but you can play some of the Sims 4 stuff. Uh, It does have a, a pretty extensive library, to be perfectly fair to it. I'd say that it's a very good value. It's not the best value on my list, but it is damn good. The next one I want to talk about is what actually started me on this path to begin with, and that is Uplay+. It's the Ubisoft PC-only subscription service that starts in September. It's going to cost $14.99 a month, but you can sign up early to try it for free for that first month. Uh, if you're listening to this before the end of August 2019, then you can probably still hop over there and get that month for free. You'll have access to new releases and premium editions of the games, uh, including any of those sort of uber xl special edition throw in the kitchen sink versions that have extra skins and all that stuff it does say premium editions, so whatever that happens to mean for them uh, they'll give you the early access just like if you pre-ordered a game for a hundred dollars they'll give you that for three days early and uh you can look forward to playing things like Ghost Recon or Assassin's Creed, that kind of thing. This is exactly how I plan on playing the new Ghost Recon game. Much as I got a great amount of time out of the last one, I don't really feel like I need to spend $59.99 when I can drop $14.99 and try it for as long as I want that month. Probably finish it by the end of the month and will probably never reload it up again, just like I have with Wildlands. So, that's Uplay+. Plus coming very soon, ready to compete with all the others. And now let's move into the streaming service that I think is probably the best value, and that is the Xbox Game Pass. And that is another one of those that has a variable rate depending on what you want to do. Uh, It's $14.99 for what I call the best value. Uh, You can even join for $1 for the first month. Um, It includes Xbox Gold, uh, PC and console versions of the game, plus it has... Gears 5 Ultimate Edition, Uh, you can play games four days early on the console and PC, all kinds of stuff, I looked at their catalog, it's actually pretty ridiculous, my friends have been playing Forza like crazy with the Game Pass, Uh, there's a lot of stuff, I think I tried, yeah, 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 we tried uh, Sea of Thieves with it uh, a while back, so it's actually a really good deal, I think it's pretty impressive all around. If you just want the PC version, it's $4.99 a month. Uh, that's an introductory price. And then the console version is 10 bucks a month. Uh, it also has, as I said, brand new games come to that service as well. So all around, just because you can play on both your console, your PC, you get that gold on the Xbox. All the extra stuff you get, I, I say that that is the best value. So there is one more service that... Those of you who know a lot about this stuff are probably wondering where it is in my list, and that would be Google Stadia. I am not going to talk about that right now because, to be perfectly honest, I have not really read that much about it. Um, I just haven't. So it'll probably be in the next uh, one of the next two episodes. We'll talk about Google Stadia more in depth, but uh, that's it for that. So, you know, we're not even really talking about things like Gamefly or some of those other more fringe gaming services where you can rent them or have them mailed to you and try them out for as long as you need and all that stuff. I mean, there's a lot of choices out there right now. And just like I said, with TV shows vying for your attention, there is so much entertainment available these days that it's just saturating, you know, so... In my case, I spent a lot of time on Destiny 2. I I constantly come back to it, and I've just sort of made that my hobby. My hobby is Destiny 2. There are other games I have. I really liked the Warhammer 40k game, uh, Inquisitor Martyr. I did get stuck on a mission that's kind of made me mad, but I'll probably beat it eventually. Vermintide 2 is just on the verge of a new expansion. It comes out on August 13th. Pretty excited about that because I really enjoy it. But as far as hobbies go, Destiny 2 just keeps me coming back time and again, much like WoW did back in the day and ESO, because I just I just like the progression. I like what it has going for it. So how do we come up with what we're going to spend our time on when these game companies are throwing hundreds of titles at us from different angles? We have different ways of paying for them so that we're not... Uh, Risking as much money to give something a shot. Here's a great example. Back when WildStar came out, which has been turned off now, it was competing with ESO. Now I had already picked ESO. That was the game I was going to play. I'd spend way too much time on Skyrim, and all the other Elder Scrolls games to even consider not playing that game. Now it was supposed to come out on the PlayStation and the Xbox at the same time. Obviously, that didn't happen. It almost took a year for them to do so, but ultimately, I got it. I paid extra to get five days early access. Played the absolute heck out of ESO. Loved the game. Just fell in love. Now, Wildstar came out. They did a couple of things that really kind of offended me. Just their whole, you know, do you have time or money nonsense. I just... uh, You could probably find that somewhere. I don't want to give them too much of a hard time about that. The game is off. But... I did end up buying the game, and it was a fifty nine ninety nine title. And when I started playing it, my wife saw it and she said, "Hey, that looks really awesome!" So we bought it for her. So now we're one hundred and twenty dollars in, to WildStar, for a game that you know after we got to a certain point, it was just it was laborious to play. And here they have made a science fiction game that essentially takes place on a single world with a few instances off the world. And it just is WoW again, for the most part, with Brutal Legends announcers. I just, ugh, you know, I wish I would have had the opportunity to just try it on one of these streaming services instead. I think that when you find yourself in this predicament, you've got to look at what it is you want out of the game. So do you want to spend... Hours and hours grinding like I do in Destiny for a weapon—is that what's interesting to you? Do you want to spend a whole bunch of time on a game like Total War, building up armies and and your city and all that stuff, and, and do it again and again? Uh, for me, it has to have persistence to get that much time. For me, it has to have a character that I'm building up and that I can come back to and play new content with. It can't be a game like Red Dead Redemption Two, which these days I just I don't get as invested in a character I didn't create when I'm playing a video game. Uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey pulled me in because I could pick between the two characters, and then from those two characters I had some options throughout the game that changed my storyline. My absolute favorite MMO of all time at this point is Star Wars The Old Republic because of the story elements, and I'll talk about that in another episode, but uh, it's that kind of persistence and story that draws me in. It's one of the reasons that Destiny 2 is having a tenuous grip on me right now because all they keep doing is throwing out grind material rather than stuff for us to do that is involving the story or advancing our character or even the, the, the plight of the city. I'm hoping that Shadowkeep does a better job of that. And I guess we'll see here in a month that did get pushed out. So in any event... That's sort of where I'm at. That's how I pick video games, and I'm really excited about all these subscriptions. I'm really excited about being able to spend $14.99 to try some games. However, I thought of a couple of things that might be a problem with this model. First off, Anthem is a great example. So when Anthem came out, a lot of people spent $14.99 to try it. And they said, oh, our number soared, we did great, blah, 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 whatever. I am not sure what happened after for them because I haven't read about the numbers, but I am pretty certain that it dropped dramatically after the game was sort of disappointing to a lot of people. So what happens if these one-time $59.99 games are now $14.99 and the developer is like, well, damn, our game is only six hours long, and if we put that out on the subscription service... People are going to beat it in, like, a day or two. Streamers will beat it in a day, absolutely, and show it to all the people who don't, who are on the fence, and they'll just watch them play it and not care and not even pay the subscription. So what if they decide, how about this? We're going to put out three hours of the game now and have a pretty reasonable sort of cliffhanger conclusion, and then the next three hours will come out next month, or even less of an extreme option. What if it's like The Division 2 did where they're like, well, here's the main game, and this is going to keep you busy for a while, but we're not going to release the final map mode until X date, and then after that we're not going to release the raid until X date and drag it out to sort of pull you in for your, for your subscription. S.T.A.R.S. does that with things like the American Gods series, where since they only come out with it every week, you have to really time your free trial if you want to ensure that you see the whole thing while it's still sort of on, or you just have to wait for it to conclude and then pay the re- or or start up your free trial just to see that one show you care about. And I really do think that games might actually change the way they're made and released so that they can make more money on those on those subscriptions. Now, of course, they've got a ton of games on there as well, so there's got to be a way to recoup that. And I think that's one of the ways they'll do it. Because if for some reason you end up needing to have it for three months to play that one game you loved, then you're going to be spending close to what you did when you bought the one game to begin with. But the big difference is is that, let's say I got Destiny 2 through a subscription service and I busted out the main campaign and there's nothing really to do other than the weekly update stuff. And I turn and look at the other games and I'm like, hey, I really like this one. Well, now I get hooked on that. And as long as they continue to come out with content, I'm more likely to hold on to that subscription. So I'm very curious how we're going to see game development change and what is deliverable and what we as consumers will either learn to accept or reject as we go on. So I'm going to keep a close eye on that and I'll probably talk about it again in the future. But that is all the streaming stuff that I wanted to talk about today. So let's move on. During the first episode of the Society Case Files podcast, I mentioned that I was on the verge of starting a new novel in my society world, and that novel has begun. It is called Full Circle, and it's about a werewolf. Uh, He's one of the main characters, and it is going very well. I'm really excited about it. It's been so much fun to get back to that world and write those characters again. What uh, I'd been doing most recently was trying a few new things, and while I'm really proud of what I came up with, they weren't really as fulfilling to me as this book has been so far, and I've only been working on it for a few days. Uh, the last book I finished is called Crescendo, and the first chapter is available on my coffee site, so you could check it out if you are a supporter. But the new book will be shared up there as well as soon as I get a little further into the novel and know that the beginning isn't going to change at all. It's, uh, it's a neat take on shapeshifter culture, and we're going to see it through the eyes of a young man who had no idea that he had this uh, heritage, but a freak accident pushes him in that direction, sort of superhero style. So I'm really looking forward to sharing that. More than that, I can't really say, other than um, Ophelia Dupree does make an appearance as one of the three main characters. It's also in a new perspective for the society novels, in that um, it will be from three different characters' uh, perspectives throughout, so, and third person which I haven't really done with Ophelia as a main character. Looking forward to sharing that in the very near future. I can't wait for everyone to see it. The cover reveal, or at least the temporary cover that I came up with to sort of inspire myself, is also up on the coffee site. So take a look and look forward to some more info about that here in the very near future. Final thing I want to talk about is just discipline, about completing projects and that sort of thing you know when a writer sits down to create a novel if they're very experienced they can actually fall into some serious traps i've seen it happen a lot i'm a part of a lot of different um, author groups and forums and i read the sort of struggles they go through i see a lot of people say that uh, they just decide they've got this and they just start writing that's that's pretty dangerous Even if you're amazing, it's really good to create an outline, even if it's loose, just something to keep you focused and guided through the process. Because if you just start writing, you could get way ahead of yourself, end up with a 160,000 word novel where 80,000 of those words need to be basically edited right out because they just wander too much. I'm looking at you, Anne Rice. In any event... I suggest that when you start anything, and this isn't just about art, it really is about doing things at work. When I worked in the tech industry, I could not be seat of your pants when it came to spending money or allocating resources to any specific project. We really needed to sit down and come up with a plan of attack, how we're going to use our time, what's going to happen Monday. What are we going to deliver on Wednesday? And what's it going to look like on Friday after we do so? Did we have enough time from Monday to Wednesday to create something that has the value that will even survive to the end of the week? And that goes for anything you do. You really need to spend time outlining or otherwise envisioning that end product. One thing that I, I love this phrase, what does success look like? You have to be able to define how it's going to look when you're done in order to start and have something of quality at the end. Once you know the finish line, everything in between, you might be cool enough to just fly by the sea of your pants to get there. But I still recommend at least having milestones mapped out in your mind so that as you work through that stuff, you'll at least get there in a more controlled manner. And When you're controlling those situations, the outcome is more predictable. So you want predictable outcomes in everything you do because the unpredictable tends to be things you have to correct rather than embrace. Now, once in a while, you'll be writing a novel and something crazy will happen. You'll write a character that does something super cool and you'll be like, oh my gosh, that was so cool. I never would have come up with that had I not just let it happen. Spontaneity is good. But it shouldn't be the guiding force. Spontaneity should spring from preparedness. Spontaneity should be something that when you let it go, you are able to pull it back and have it absorb into the overall product that you're creating. Keep that in mind as you're working through things. And even if it's a hobby, think about what you want the end result to look like. Envision that in your mind and then aim for that. You might fall short. I'll do art pieces where I have this perfect picture in my head and it won't come out like that, but sometimes it gets close and sometimes it's way better. But either way, I worked towards it and in the process of working towards that, I learned a great deal. And sometimes I learned that my vision was bad and sometimes I learned that I'm just not good enough to get to the vision I had. Either way, I'm learning and progressing and that is the way that you can do the same thing. As you go forward... Think about it that way. Think about always looking at what success looks like and then attain it at the end. All right, thank you very much for listening to the show. I appreciate you stopping by. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more, please be sure to check out our website and keep track of the schedule. You can find us at www.societycasefiles.com or www.roberthazelton.com. Don't forget to follow or support the project at ko. Dash fi.com slash society case files. Next episode will air in a week. Got a lot more coming. We really appreciate your time. Look forward to seeing you again. Thanks.